0: Welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, brightening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, and once again, I am rejoined with Jason. Hey, everyone. Did you miss me? Now, of course, that's going to not make sense chronologically because we pre-recorded Barbarian, so it's like we're already back together. But oh, yeah. I yeah. Hmm. just wanted to do that. Oh. I like, okay. to, I like to mix it up sometimes.
1: Yeah, let's fuck up with everyone's <laughs> sense of temporal reality. Excellent. Yes,
0: yes. <laughs> so, we're in our last block of the year. We're going to be talking about movies, about making movies. Not really a genre per se, but. Uh,
1: I think it's enough of a subgenre. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a subgenre on Wikipedia, so. Oh, well, hey, there yeah, you that's go. official, right? When is
0: Wikipedia ever wrong? Never. Literally never. Excellent. Um, and we're kicking it all off with. Kind of one of the things we do every year, which is go circle around and check out a film by Shion Sono. And we're doing that today with Why Don't You Play in Hell from 2013. Now, before all that, we've got all kinds of other, the usual things we get into, talking about what we've been watching. i got to talk about my little vacation just for a moment. And um, I have multiple shout-outs, which is kind of funny because, you know, some, sometimes that well is pretty dry, but it just depends. Oh, okay. Uh, so, three, let's go through these real quick. One... Unsung Horror's Horror Gives Back for the year. Did super well. I think they like doubled their potential funding they wanted to get for charity. Nice. So that's awesome. Shout out to them. Very good. I know they've just recently dropped a big episode, the usual one they do, where they both go through their entire pick of like the 31 movies they did for the month. Go check that out. It's always one of my favorite episodes they put out every year, because it just gives me a ton of good movie recommendations and things that I want to check out that I maybe don't know about. Mm, nice. Nice. So that's awesome and it's for a good cause and look for that next year if you wanna watch horror movies and donate to help to help the animals. A good cause. A good cause. Very good cause. All um, of animals here. Shout out number two. Shout out to Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe. Mm-hmm. I think that all our sticker dissemination we did have reached their intended targets. Finally. They gave us a very nice shout-out in exchange for the ones we sent to them. After much promising and threatening. Um, there's brewings now of this Royal Rumble, so... Uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, you and Michael are really going to have to carry us on this, because I'm, I'm lame, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'll immediately crumple the first person that comes at me, so... <laughs> so I'm a lover, not a fighter. Oh. Maybe this is all Michael, then. <laughs> yeah, it's all on him, man.
1: I mean, I will sit and debate movies... Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. I, I will spar verbally with people about cinema. I'm all about
0: that. <laughs> Bring it. Um. So, yeah, maybe we'll just be, like, on the side of the ring and then Michael can just get destroyed and, like, be crawling trying to tag one of us, you know? And <laughs> Yeah, that's all him. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, yes, but much love to them. And then third shout-out, circling back to one of our films we've covered in the past. Uh-huh. Um... We checked out Who's With Me, directed mm. by Austin Allen James, indie film director. Very
1: good flick if you haven't checked it out. Yes, do quite so. love
0: it. Uh, I'm mentioning it just so I can go ahead and put it in the show notes again. Sure. Um, and if you need convincing, you can go listen to our episode where we resoundingly recommend it. Um, he directed a little music video for a band. Oh. It's, uh, it's a band called Still Mongo, and the song is Christmas in Town. So it's a little uh, Christmas-themed delight. If hmm. you would like to partake in such as we move into the holidays... Uh yeah he just sent it over my way. I was like hey I, I directed this it came out pretty fun thought you guys might like it nice I quite enjoyed it um I didn't really know still Mongo it seems like they're not they're kind of like an up and coming band mm-hmm. sort of deal but um we're probably not cool enough to know who they are <laughs> or maybe that too I don't I looked up on Spotify they just have a few songs out and it made me sad because I really dug the song and their style it's very like uh kind of indie kind of like punk rock maybe maybe a little pop punk but not like okay not the obnoxious kind you know sure uh, immediately the first few riffs i was like ah oh, I'm, I'm, I'm into this okay so it's more descendants less some <laughs> <Psalm> 41 <laughs> that's pretty fair i think yeah yeah um i'll throw it in the show notes go check it out give it a listen to it maybe you'll find a new song you enjoy nice um so all of that said I guess I should talk about my trip a little bit. Talk about your trip. Yes. Tell us about your alien abduction. I went on a weird little vacation. We we flew into Vegas, hung out there for a while, drove through, eventually ended up in Sedona, the, the land of the mythical overabundance of New Age, mm-hmm. and got into a bunch of weirdness along the way. Mm-hmm. So I'll try to keep this as mostly film-related as I can. Um, one, of, one of the things I really enjoyed that we did is we went to... Um, zach bagan's haunted museum (laughs) now if you watch all those paranormal tv shows his is a name that you're going to know he's the like dude bro ghost hunter yeah the uh, the, uh, come at me bro (laughs) getting scratched by demons um yeah now in (laughs) vegas has his own haunted museum where he has curated haunted artifacts that he has bought off of people Mm -hmm. um but it's actually a lot more than that and it could be of interest to film fans as well so i thought i would mention it um, because while they do have these different exhibits of, you know, allegedly haunted objects. Allegedly haunted. And those are interesting because you do get like the history and the story about it and what was going on. I uh, said Before I'll say it again, stories are always mm-hmm. fun. I love to hear a good spooky story. Regardless of what you believe, that's like the best part. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of multi-purposed, I guess, because they're just trying to reach anyone they can. So there's also some exhibits that are very true crime based. They have a whole section where there's, like, different ephemera and stuff on some of the popular serial killers, mm-hmm. your, your Ted Bundy's and your Richard Ramirez. Sure. All of that stuff. Um, but all, so, the all, the, all the greats. All the greats. All your favorites, the best ones, the ones that you love, and weirdly <laughs> write letters to for <laughs> some in, reason. Send nude photos, too. Um, you know, um, nice little section on uh, Charles Manson, too, you know, who mm-hmm. of course. I, I sometimes think is maybe exaggeratedly given his status, since, you know... He's just so fucking weird, He didn't actually kill anyone, and... He kind of was just trying to be a famous musician. And, and well, I mean, it is more evil if you can get people to kill for you. <laughs> and, and, I mean... I, I kind of take the stance that he sort of, like, yes-ended himself into a corner and then <laughs> then had to commit. But, you know, whatever. Um, but, no, in the middle of this exhibit, they kind of they shifted gears a little bit for, like, one or two rooms. And they did a lot of stuff that was based on, like, movie-focused things. Um, and I totally didn't expect that. So we got to see, like, uh, some screen-used props from Ghostbusters. They had a proton pack. They had the actual trap that was used to capture Slimer. I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, they had one of the Chucky dolls from the first Child's Play film. Mm-hmm. They had some of the props from the Bram Stoker's Dracula. Cool. They had like his sick ass glasses oh, yeah. and the fucking cane. Oh, cool! <laughs> which was freaking amazing to see in person. Um, some of it got a little like mm, this feels a little exploitative. Like they had. Um, and broader celebrity stuff. They had like the chair that Michael Jackson was sitting in when he he got the overdose that killed him. Oh and, no. um, They had the jacket from the crow that Brandon Lee was wearing when the the mm-hmm. the, the stunt went wrong and killed him. Yeah. And, and some of those I'm like that that is neat to see, but it also feels it's a little ghoulish. It feels kind of bad, you know? Yeah. Um, they had like the transaxle from um, the car that killed James Dean. James Dean, yeah. Mm-hmm. It um, was a Porsche Spider, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was interesting to see, but yeah. yeah, Maybe um, maybe that's
1: more far enough removed. It's been so romanticized. It's mm-hmm. not quite as disturbing, but yeah, it's still trying to... F- <laughs> yeah,
0: it felt a little weird on those. still a little ghoulish. Um, I guess it was your little reprieve from the scary stuff, so... Yeah. Whatever, but that, that's an interesting oddity that you can check out if you happen to be passing through Vegas a yeah.
1: little bit. Maybe you're a big Crash fan, and you're turned <laughs> on by, oh, you know...
0: yeah auto eroticism oh yeah it's in its own little room too so you can just (laughs) kind of sit back in there and hey zach can i have like (laughs) 10 minutes alone in (laughs) there? well i i saw that if you want to be like you know a big spender they do do a like uh it was much more expensive but it's a lights out tour where you come at night and they have all the lights off and they give you like a flashlight and there's no guide for the tour you kind of just get to move at your own pace okay so yeah, I mean well, if a haunted doll was ever gonna jump out <laughs> at you, it's then, right? Um did we have anything paranormal happen while we were there? I'm gonna say no, not really. Mm-hmm. Um there are only two things that I would say were maybe like quasi questionable, but that's just sort of like what do you think of that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um they have a haunted doll named Peggy. <laughs> um, which was very funny because they that's the other thing about this and not I I i'm spending way too much time on this but yeah. it's interesting it's so right. it's, it's they amazing. um they really like oversell everything so like they make it be as scary as possible so they just have all these videos of people like fainting on the tours <laughs> and it's like yeah because if you're suggestive at all to any of this everything they do and the way they present it just like builds you up to go yeah. ahead and get like scared out of your mind right um because they'll like prep you with a video that really oversells it a lot of the rooms they'll be like no if if you think this is too much, you don't have to do this one. You can just wait here and we'll come back and rejoin with you and da-da-da-da. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they have a haunted doll named Peggy and they even have the things like, oh, now, you, when you go in, you need to like greet the doll and when you leave <laughs> the room, you need to say goodbye to the doll because <laughs> people have been cursed if they don't do that in the past. And, <laughs> fuck that shit, man. Um, <laughs> but one of their little oddities with that is they, they hooked up like a spirit box in that room that's running 24-7 mm-hmm. in case it captures any, any communications from the doll. And uh, when we were passing through it, it did, like, start to try to, like, have something come through on that, but it was just way too staticky to make out. Yeah. So that was, that was and interesting. that was be anything, electrical
1: interference. Um,
0: and, and the only thing that I personally experienced, and whatever you want to put into this, uh, they had an exhibit for, um, it was, like, the bed and some of the room objects from the Bunny Ranch, hmm. um, where the owner died. And I think there was some other thing about what of the basketball star who, like, OD'd in that bed and almost died, and... Ooh, uh, okay. I, I don't know. He's, he's connected to the Kardashians somehow. Tiffany was all about it, so she she knew who that was. And I was like, <laughs> "Talk about fucking scary! Man. Uh, what P- the fuck? Put ever? Me in a room with the Kardashians, yeah. and i am be clawing the walls to get the fuck out." That's the real horror show. <laughs> um, but no, so they have this weird VIP thing where you can get like extra rooms, but it costs more. And I didn't do that because it seemed weird. Um, but they, if you don't have that VIP thing, they let the VIP people go do that, and then they kind of just usher the the normies mm-hmm. that we were. On to like the next normal room, and you just get a chill there like a little extra longer. So when we entered this room for this bed, it was literally just us in there and no one else. And I was kind of just reading all of the like the plaques on the wall that was like explaining the story and da 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 sure. And it really got started to have that like like I felt cold. I kind of had like the hair standing up on the back of my neck. It felt like almost like it was tingly, and it felt like there were more people in the room than just the two or three of us. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very odd. Now, what does that mean? Who knows? I don't know. And then when the rest of the tour group rejoined us, that just kind of, like, stopped. Yeah. I don't know. It was fun. Okay, I had fun. As long as you had fun, man, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the only other thing to talk about of note is when we were in Sedona, yes, we, we signed up and went on a uh, a stargazing slash UFO tour, which was entertaining. I'm <laughs> but you didn't see anything. Um, I did see something. You did? Now it was unknown, but what is it? That's another question. So, mm. um, I'll maybe linked to the tour that we took because I thought the lady that ran it was really nice. I'm super sorry I've forgotten your name, but I, I learned so many names on this trip, and you they're all they're all kicking everything. around. Um, but there's when you go if you go to Sedona, there's like multiple UFO tours, and they're even competing. Like when we were at the spot we were at, there was another tour there, like across the ways, and we could hear them like doing their spiel at the same time. Mm-hmm there seemed much more lame. There was a lot less, like, looking at the stars and a lot more, like, step up to our RV and look at the alien artifacts we have. Which, even as someone who is kind of into the paranormal and into the idea of, like, UFOs and aliens, that's a little little too much for me. That that doesn't sound too far off from, hey, I've got a box of puppies in the back of my van. Come have a look, kid. Yeah. um, I don't know what they were doing over there. but, uh, But, no, Our Lady was super cool. She, like, talked a lot about just, like, general, like, Looking at the stars at night and things like that. Um, she brought like military grade night vision goggles that you got to use. That's fun. It was an interesting experience. Did you use your Buffalo Bill voice while wearing them? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, and um, she actually like went through a lot of stuff about like if you were do looking in the sky for things like how do you know like what is a commercial vehicle flying in the sky? What is a military craft that's flying in the sky? Right. Um, how could you discern if something was to be a satellite or not? Or sure. if it was a star or a shooting some star? A drone or flying mm-hmm. overhead or some shit. Because um, basically her stance was like, you eliminate all of that. And then at that point, it's like, what is it? Okay. So yeah, it was weird. Like, there would be these lights that would be like moving through the sky and they would make like right angle turns. And they had like none of the like signal lights or any identifying things like that. And then sometimes they would like. Really, the only term for it is, like, power up. Like, they would start to glow brighter Mm -hmm. in the sky. Like, to the point that if you had the goggles off, you could actually, like, see a color in the sky. It looked, like, orange or kind of red. Um, And then it would just, like, fade out and vanish. Mm, Okay. Now, is that aliens? Who knows? It could just be, you know, some weird experimental military vehicle that they have off the books and they don't want anyone to know about because it's, like, a government secret. And so they're not following those protocols. It could be ball lightning. You know, it could be atmospheric phenomena. Completely just as likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had fun. And it was cool. an entertaining experience. That's all that matters. We had a good time. Cool. So now let's talk about movies. What have you been watching?
1: All right, man. I watched a movie. I watched a movie I've been meaning to watch for a while. Okay. Called I Am Not a Serial Killer from 2016. Okay. Have
0: you seen this film? I have not. I haven't even heard of it, I don't think. Oh, really? Okay. Well, here is... Uh, this is what it's about. Can I ask a question? Please. Are they a serial killer?
1: Uh, well, technically, <laughs> there, there is a serial killer, technically, in the movie. Oh. Um, but it is not the main character, who I would assume is the one saying, I am not a serial killer. Um. <clears throat> In a small Midwestern town, a troubled teen with homicidal tendencies must hunt down and destroy a supernatural killer while keeping his own inner demons at bay. It's um, directed and co-written by Billy O'Brien. Ooh. I don't think he's done much since this. Um, but it's really well made. It's it's kind of, it's very retro okay. in its presentation. Like, it's set in modern times, but it could have just as easily been set you know, in the 80s or whatever. Ooh has very stark photography. It makes really good use of this kind of kind of run down, typical small town mm-hmm. that, you know, looks like it's probably been dominated by factories and stuff all of its existence. And it's just sort of it reminds me a lot of Martin and oh, its okay. feel, if that makes any
0: sense. Cool, yeah, I, I get you on that. Yeah.
1: Uh all the actors are really good. The lead's really good. He's like a a kid with um Sociopathic Tendencies. Oh. Um, it's got Christopher Lloyd in it, playing oh. against type. Okay. And it works very effectively because he's pretty creepy in it. Uh,
0: hmm.
1: I recommend it. I recommend it highly. If it, It's kind of a slow burn. It's, it's a very much one of those you're just sort of taking your time and enjoying the atmosphere and the acting and everything. But uh, it's really well done. And I'm interested to see what this filmmaker does next. Hopefully he'll direct Hmm. something new soon. Interesting.
0: I'll have to go look into it a little bit. Yeah, I think think you might dig it. Where'd you watch it?
1: I watched this one on... um, Oh my gosh, what did I watch it on? (laughs) I want to say it was... There were no ads, so it wasn't like Tubi or anything. Hang on, I will tell you real quick. Da, 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 um, oh Shutter, it's on Shutter. Oh, I think it was recently re-added. Shout although it to, is on Tubi. Shout out to
0: Shutter. Yeah, but hey, Tubi though. Yeah, if you're not paying for it, <laughs> if you're a cheapskate
1: and you're using Tubi, you can go watch it there
0: too. Listen, if Tubi had like a paid, no ads version, they would get my money so fast. Just, oh, sure, yeah, I, I would abandon as many other platforms as I needed to well, fund them.
1: Nice. Yeah, so check it out. I dig it. I think you might too. Cool. How about you, man? What have you been watching? Anything else, or? Nope. Uh, actually, it's been kind of slow for me in movies lately. I've been watching more TV shows mm-hmm. and actually like, uh, doing things. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I know you do things. Not all wow. great. Nah. Yeah, not, not all worth talking about.
0: But <laughs> it's just been kind of busy, unfortunately. It happens. It comes and goes. Um, I'm gonna quickly rattle through some of my vacation watches. We've been joined by a cat in the studio. Yes, Penny has wandered down. Very cool. Because um, you never know what's gonna be on the whole like in-flight movie watching experience. Um uh, I mostly just revisited classics mm-hmm. on the trip this time. Uh revisited Ghostbusters. Because at the start of the trip we were still in October, and I was like, eh. Hey, sure. Need a little Ghostbusters. That's good because you saw Ghostbusters paraphernalia. Yeah, which I didn't know was gonna happen.
1: Wow, synchronicity. Yeah. Oh,
0: Interesting. Yeah, Uh, Rewatched Beetlejuice. Nice, nice, classic. Again, just an enjoyable classic. Um, This was like an accidental watch when we were staying at one of the the Airbnbs we had rented. um, And I was just looking for any film to watch to have a film to watch that day. Uh, Revisited Mars Attacks. Okay. Now, I've learned that you're not so hot on that film. I I am not
1: a fan of Mars. That was the first real (laughs) stumble for Tim Burton for me. Wow. That was when I was like, Ooh, man. Well, after all these hits, okay, he's made one that didn't really land for me. That's fine. I'm sure he'll get over it. <laughs> Never really did. Because this was after Ed Wood, correct? This was 96. Yeah. So Ed Wood was, it was 94, yeah. I believe. Yeah. And to go from what I consider to be his
0: masterpiece to Mars Attacks, for me, was just... <laughs> ooh, okay. Um, well, I will maintain that it is not a great film, but I actually do quite enjoy it. I love the weirdly kind of star-studded cast they put together for it. It's like kind of bursting at the seams with famous people for no reason. Yeah. Um, especially that some of them have roles that like barely even matter. Like Pierce Brosnan as the scientist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think that he's going to be like a big deal and then he's like sidelined for most of the film. Um, and then I love of course just the way they like realize the design of the aliens from the old that I like art Go into live action stuff,
1: yeah that, I, that that lands for me like all the alien stuff is pretty good
0: <laughs> and I just love both how fucking cruel they are and just how mean they are it's very much like a gremlins vibe and how much fun they're having yeah. you know they're just having the time of their fucking lives it's great and, and even the way they build up and tease it that like oh maybe they're gonna be kind of nice or maybe there's a misunderstanding <laughs> it's like no they're yeah. just here to fuck everyone over <laughs> they're gonna be
1: nice this time and, and they're oh, laughing wait. about
0: it yeah um, especially like once the rampage starts and they have like the translator box and they're just walking around with it and it's like, wait, we come in peace. <laughs> Do not run away. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. But the actual movie I want to talk about. This was on the flight home and I was mm-hmm. like, there was one one Japanese film on this flight. Really? And I decided to watch it even though it seemed kinda of weird. A weird Japanese movie. Wow. Who'd well, have thought? Well, well, it? more in the sense that it was it sounded like a film that I wouldn't watch. So <laughs> okay. um this is from So tw- it's normal. This is from twenty twenty three. Brant and New. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find this anywhere but on the Delta flight we were on. So Weird. I don't and know. Was this is some sort of haunted video. Have you been seeing no. Little Wet Girls uh, It was not a horror film. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Um, it's called Shylock's Children and is directed by Katsuhide Motoki. Now, he's directed some other stuff, none of which I believe I was too familiar with. I, I noticed when I look on Letterboxd, he's done some live-action adaptations of Kataro, the classic manga anime mm. with a little yokai boy, so... I don't know. Sure. Um, but so this is a just straight up drama mm. about a bank in Tokyo and there's a scandal where some money goes missing Uh-oh. and it navigates the different pathways of that and tries to resolve it. Interesting. Wasn't any good. It sounded super fucking boring, mm. but I was like, whatever. Japanese movie. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm unusually biased but I actually really really liked it. Yeah, okay. Um nice. the reason for the title is they kind of frame everything around at the start it's like after everything has happened mm-hmm. and it's some people going to see a play of The Merchant of Venice mm-hmm. which of course has the character Shylock The Merchant of Venice. Right. And um as the play ends like a couple is talking about the story and about whether Shylock is like the villain in the story or not and kind of the whole nature of like borrowing money and paying it back and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then you learn that of this couple, the dude works at a bank as like a investigator for whenever there's like fraud or missing things or uh, misplaced funds or things like that. He talks about how it's more complicated than the play makes it seems. And then the rest of the film is sort of a flashback about this story. Ah. And it's like this multi-person cast of several individuals. And I'm not going to go through all the whole plot, but the, the core of what's going on is that there's a scam artist who has come up with a trick to get money out of banks uh, for loans for, like, seemingly legitimate businesses. Oh, it's about Trump. Yeah, kind of. Um, but he's using these just to go to, like, hostess clubs and go out to bars and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And he does this by sort of manipulating one worker who's there who he kind of has, like, some leverage on mm. to get him to sort of, like, push through the loan requests. And in the course of doing that, he starts to, like, ply this guy to help pay back the um, the loan payments once the funds get low. Which puts the dude in a tough situation, and then he steals some money to, like, put for the payment, which then makes the bank short by a million yen, and sets off this whole investigation, and then his plan was to, like, pay it back later before it got caught, but it gets caught immediately. All right. And then it sets off this firestorm of, like, there's some workers there that hate other ones, and they try to frame them, Mm -hmm. and it becomes this big, perplexing, mysterious puzzle and there's this core cast of about three or four people that try to actually sort it out and figure out what's going on. And when they uncover what's actually going on, they find out that it's more scandalous than they thought. And that the actual like manager of the bank has been in cahoots with this guy the entire time. And it was like a dual-sided scam. Mm. And they were planning to let the normal bank teller like fall for everything. Oh. And then once that happens, they start this long plot to like scam the scammers, get a bunch of money for themselves, have the bank repaid, and screw them over. Okay. All right. Um. So there's no action. There's no like mm-hmm. no big moments or anything. No, no, it's a lot. No curses. Um, no, uh, no
1: supernatural. No shenanigans. supernatural
0: shenanigans. It's just a story about a bank and there's a scandal and some people try to outwit the uh, scammers. Cool. But it was surprisingly engaging in like the twists and turns of like how things would develop and what new situations would come up and how they would have to like modify their plan to. It almost felt like a less, like, assholey version of, like, an Ocean's Eleven-type film. <laughs> you you know? know, I never, I never <laughs> watched those movies. Watching <laughs> the trailers made me... Um, and it's not like it was a heist uh, film or anything, but it was just, it kind of had that vibe to yeah, it a little bit, you know? right, right. Double crosses yeah. and schemes and all that stuff. Um, and so I was pleasantly surprised. Okay, cool. Um, don't know if it's anywhere else, but, you know... <laughs> you might
1: have to trotter a flight and watch it on the plane.
0: If you're looking for some good, you know... Uh, japanese bank drama action (laughs) maybe just charter yourself a delta flight before the end of the year and see see what comes out sure all right so today we're kicking off our movies about making movies With Shion Sonos, Why Don't You Play in Hell from 2013. Now, right out of the gate, I'm going to hit you with the synopsis. Mm -hmm. I kind of amalgam this synopsis because none of them seem that good online. So, here we go. In Japan, Gonzo filmmakers hatch a three-pronged plan to save an actress's a career, end a Yakuza war, and make a hit movie. Mm,
1: It's pretty succinct. Seems fair. Yeah.
0: Um, what genre is this, Dustin? So officially on IMDb, it is an action comedy. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty fair. It is. There's comedy, there's it action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to put in the crime tag because a lot of this film kind of rests on this gang war between two rival Yakuza clans. And it really leans into a lot of the tropes of a Yakuza movie in the process of doing yes. that. Yeah, happy with those? Anything else? No, I yeah. mean, I think that's pretty good. good. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, now where to start with this? Well, I will say
1: the poster makes it look sort of like a horror film. It does, Because yeah. there's <laughs> like a pile of bodies, and there's someone <laughs> raising a camera up out of the pile of bodies. It's so it a, looks like a found footage horror film, almost.
0: It's an odd poster, yeah. I like it. I dig it. Um, the Japanese title is Jigoku de warui. Jigoku, that's a great word. If you more literally translate it, it kind of comes out to be, what's so bad about hell? Mm-hmm. But...
1: Right. So once you play in hell, like, you know, you're playing because it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. I get
0: it. Yeah. Chikoku. But I will say, by the end of the film, the poster does make a little more sense. <laughs> it does. Everything kind of comes together. Um,
1: And this is one of those movies where it is very rapid. Lots of mm-hmm. back and forths. So it's almost impossible to kind of go a blow <laughs> by blow of this. We'll probably yeah. be hopping around a little bit here and there.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll hit what we can and maybe cycle back if we need to on stuff. It so. struck me as very
1: much kind of a, and not in a bad way, but sort of a 90s sort of feel to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that may have been intentional. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not as familiar with Japanese cinema as you. Mm-hmm. So
0: anyway, we'll get into all that. <clears throat> sure. So we start out in this film... Kind of in the past. Ten or, years ago. Or you know what? You know, before we even get into the film, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I wanted to kind of talk about this. So sure. a little background on this. This is based on a screenplay that Sono wrote 15 years prior. Before he made the movie. Mm. So he had sat on this for a long time and like wanted to do it. And it was one of those things like it never was the right time. Didn't have, you know, never, never the stars didn't align the right way to do it until this point.
1: It does sort of play as an early, you know, screenplay of a...
0: Gifted director. Oh, Your microphone's being a little weird there. Hey, stop it. <laughs> um, So I wanted to just talk about the cast in general before we got into this, because this is like... You know, I was talking about Mars Attack and how it's like a weird all-star like supercast. This film is also kind of a weird all-star supercast of like genre cinema from Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to rattle down some of the key players uh, before we even go into the whole story and everything, just to get this out of the way. So we're not stopping every... Two or three seconds. Um, So right off the gate, we have a genre exposure legend. He's been with us since our first episode that we did. That's true. Junkuni Mora. He plays Boss Muto, leader of one of the two gangs in the film. I mean, yeah, hard-boiled. He was right there with us when we started this podcast.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that was him, and I'm watching it. I'm like, that dude looks super familiar. (laughs) And I looked at his
0: filmography. I was like, oh,
1: yeah. Uh, The the
0: gunman in the tea house is being hard-boiled. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you're more of, like, just a Western viewer for a lot of stuff and don't delve into a lot of Asian cinema, you're probably going to know him as Boss Tanaka and Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes ha- a great
1: Yakuza boss. He does. He and just it, looks Yakuza. And if you
0: roll through his credits, he's been in so many crime yeah. films and just, like, he's, he slays it every time. Yeah. He probably doesn't have to try. Just, like, uh, beat Takeshi yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. He just has that look about him. And I'm glad you mentioned that because he'll be mentioned in a little bit here. Oh, goodness. Um, you may also know him from The Wailing. Which that was a very popular Korean horror film. hmm he played, or he played Japanese man. He played notably the foreign <laughs> Japanese man, who everyone was a little suspicious of. Um, Leading the other rival clan is Shinichi Sutsumi, who plays Ikigami. Now, I think probably for general fans, you're going to maybe know him from One Missed Call. Oh yes, he's the dude in that good movie too. Um, if you haven't, he's got seen a lot of it. other credits, but that's kind of maybe I guess the iconic one you would know him from. Our lead heroine. Mitsuko, the daughter of Boss Muto, is played by Fumi Nikaido. So she is one of the like frequent Sono collaborators. She appears in Himizu, the leading lady in that. And I it was a few years ago this came out, but um, they made an adaptation of Osamu Tezuka's Barbara, a really controversial manga that he made. And his son, Makoto Tezuka, who actually made Legend of the Stardust Brothers, directed it. Uh And she plays the titular Barbara in that. Okay. That's, um, if you want to dig back way into the archives is when I wrote for that film site. I covered that film back then. Nice. Um, yeah, she's really good in this movie. Yeah, She, she kills it. And, um, extremely easy on the eyes. I'm just going to (laughs) say that. She's just beautiful. That's fair. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to let it pass. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to allow that? I'm going to allow it. Okay. Um, our aspiring director and and leader of the, the titular core cast, the fuck bombers, (laughs) a little film club. Um, Harada, he's played by Hiroki Hasegawa. He's also a frequent Sono collaborator. You might would know him if you've seen a lot of his films as the lead in Love and Peace, oh. which I have subjected you to, Jason. You have. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was quite good in that as well. A- incidentally, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it as we roll into the plot, but there's this whole little toothbrush commercial in this film. That uh, connects a lot of the story beats. Oh. And in Love and Peace, the band that's in that film does a cover in one scene when they're performing live. Oh, okay. That's fun. A little funny little like, cross connection between films. A shared universe. You also might know him, though, if you're a bit more broader beyond just Sono, from Shin Godzilla. He's one of the central suits in that film, yes. trying to stop the chaos. Very good movie i'm anxious um, for the new one too God, I'm, I'm so one. ready that trailer looks fucking amazing we'll have to just carve out a little time to talk about that oh, yeah we'll absolutely um his best bud and also aspiring bruce lee reenactor sasaki is played by the one and the only tech sakaguchi yes. we've also spoke of often um you're gonna know him from versus probably that's like his iconic role he's so good in versus. Um, I, I love that movie Also a frequent Sono collaborator, he was in Prisoners of the Ghost Land, which we have also already covered. Sure was. Um, One of our other central cast members is kind of the love-struck everyman who's at the mercy of everything else going on in the film, Koji. And he is played by Gen Hoshino, who's a multi-talented, I guess, performer. He's a musician. He's an actor. Kind of just does it all. Um, I'd say he's probably known best as a singer. And in fact, when you get to the credits in this film, the sort of title track... That is sung by him. Oh, okay, so it's a fun little coda when you get to the end. Now let's get into our Beat Takeshi connection. Okay, we've got these rival gangs, and when you have rival gangs, you also need the cops involved. So we have Detective Kimura, played by Tetsu Watanabe. He is like genre film legend. If you go looking into the things he's been in, the list just rolls on forever and ever. Um, he's also in Shin Godzilla, which is a funny cross connection. Oh. Um, but I think maybe what he would be best known for is from Beak Takeshi's Hanabi, and he's also starred in several of his other films as well. Okay. And he's also starred in several other Sono films, including Prisoners of the Ghost Land, Cold Fish, Himizu, and his most recent film that they've worked on, Red Post on Escher Street. Hmm. Um... And then these are maybe just some more little tiny deep cuts just to get all all my Sono knowledge out there into the world. Of course. Um, Sono's wife, Megumi Kazurazaka, she plays in many of his other films in more, like, leading roles, like in Cold Fish and Guilty of Romance. And then The Whispering Star is pretty much just her the entire time. But um, she has a very tiny role in this film. She plays Junko, the mistress of Muto, that we see early in the first flashback. Right. Um... And then here we get to the very, very deep cuts. Um, the rival clan, led by Ikigami. there's a scene where he sleeps with a woman in a kimono. And that woman in the kimono is Sumugi, the actress who was the kind of titular villain of Noriko's dinner table, Kumiko. Oh, okay.
1: All right. Nice.
0: Now this is all clicking with you because I've forced you to watch so many of his films. You have. Um, there's a little, like... Food shop they're in for a bit in the middle of the film where Sasaki works at, and the shopkeeper of that is played by Dinden. He is the lead villain in Sono's film Coldfish. Okay, that's one I haven't watched yet. I need it's to, it's quite good. Yeah, we'll definitely need a topic one day that can swing into that one. So, yeah, there's many more people in this film, but those are sort of like the central key people or those that have some weird like connection in the the world of the many films of Shion Sono, right. Now, yes we begin 10 years ago in the past and kind of immediately it just like throws you in the shit because there's multiple things already going on
1: mm. yeah it, well it starts with that commercial oh yeah it's like the toothbrush commercial it's uh yeah, this little japanese girl singing about brushing her teeth
0: very catchy tune <laughs> very catchy and actually, Sono wrote this commercial. Okay, he's actually like really good with coming up with like jingles and like little little songs and stuff. So that's yeah, a... he came up with the song and like sort of, I guess like directed the commercial itself. Okay, cool. And tried to like match that style of commercials at the time. Well, if he you know, his film career does peter <laughs> out, he can start making commercials. Uh, uh, that's true. Well, maybe not now because he's still kind of in that See, weird in like whole... uh, pseudo canceled zone. Yeah, but, okay. Which I guess I should mention that if yeah, he's still kind of kind of in director jail, so. Mm. If you care a lot about those kind of things, maybe temper yourself before watching this. But
1: Right. But we here at Genre Exposure try to
0: separate the art from the artist as yes. much as possible. Sometimes it's quite impossible. But And if you can't, you can't. And there's so much more to watch. You can yeah. just roll on to whatever. Right. Um,
1: then we get like a title card and everything. And I really dig the opening music.
0: Actually, mm. I'll go ahead and say the music throughout the whole movie. is was really oh, fun. Yeah. There's some funny needle drops too. Like uh, he has a penchant for wanting to use like classical score. Mm-hmm. So we get, uh, I think it's, was it Beethoven's uh, Symphony Number no. 7? Yes. Yes, that's in there. And he reuses a few, uh, one really key song by Yura Yura Takoku that was used for Love Exposure.
1: Okay. Now, remind me, was this before? So this was after Love Exposure. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah, they may get some narration. From a young man who's making movies with his friends. Uh, They're running around, very guerrilla style. They got their 8mm cameras and shit like that. And yeah, they call themselves the Fuck Bombers. It's a great name. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And Harada is the main character. He's the one doing the narration.
0: Very charismatic, very crazy. And yeah, he's joined by, it's it's a guy and a girl. Mm -hmm. And actually, I struggle to remember their names.
1: Well, I wrote them down. Uh, okay. Uh, Mickey is the one doing the panning. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tanigawa is the handheld camera. So Mickey's <laughs> on the skates. He's skating around doing mm. his panning.
0: And it's funny because they're very devoted to that style of filming That's that their, they're obsessed that with. That is their yeah. style, yeah. They don't <laughs> want to lock this camera down. You know, They are on the move.
1: <laughs> but I guess... So if this came out in 2013 and was set 10 years earlier, so we're talking 2003... Mm-hmm. So that's right after the whole 90s thing. And that actually makes sense. Yeah. Because everything was very extreme (laughs) and, you know, always doing Dutch angles and close ups and zooms and whip pans and shit like that.
0: But you're immediately like super endeared to them because like it it just just feels like if you're if you're like a fucking film nerd like us, like you immediately like, oh, these are my people. Right. I would be running around the streets with them, (laughs) like waving the camera everywhere and it's like they're just trying to find cool shit to film.
1: Yeah, they they're filming like a couple of their friends are throwing eggs at each other and mm-hmm. that's their whole movie so far. <laughs> but then they hear people fighting. Yeah. And they see a bunch of like like low level street thugs, like just a bunch of ruffians.
0: Yeah, it's some like high school delinquents pretty much. Yeah. And they're all having a
1: fight so they go run over there and start filming them. And they're like, you know, why are you filming us? And they stop fighting and start harassing, you know, Harada and his friends.
0: It's funny because it immediately sets up like Harada's uh, persuasive personality because he convinces them to keep fighting. And he's like, just let us film you. We'll make it cool.
1: Yeah, they basically get in an argument (laughs) over them being
0: filmed and then start fighting again. Uh, And sort of the central kid in this fight is Sasaki, who they end up befriending. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Harada says he has a good feeling about him that he could be like a film star one day. New Bruce Lee. Yeah. The next Bruce Lee. And he says, you know, just stick with us and we'll make you a star. Yep. And he sort of immediately just embraces this world of like film obsession. And maybe just to keep only on their plot for the moment. Sure. They take Sasaki to their hangout, which is this old movie theater. Yeah. Ran by this old man and a woman that are super kind. And God, this theater is fucking awesome. Like classic old arcade games out front. Yeah. Just, Ooh, Yeah. so nice. And there's also nice. They go up to see the projectionist,
1: Mr. Mm-hmm. Ono. Is he a f- famous director or anything? Is he somebody? Because he looks like he
0: should be. Um, he reminded me of Miyazaki. He's played look. by Mickey Curtis, and I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I think he's kind of stylized to look like. Kind of reminded me a little bit of like, I don't want to say Kurosawa, but like he's obviously supposed to conjure up an earlier age. Yeah, that that of, classic. Know. He's got like the little hat.
1: Yeah, That's so iconic yeah. and. There's of loving close-ups of his projector mm-hmm. and talking about 35 millimeter and all this good stuff, which I, of course, appreciate because a lot of our <laughs> listeners may be too young to remember actual film being shown in a theater. And people think I'm fucking crazy when I talk about this, but I swear to God, and it's not just nostalgia because they were still showing actual film well into the 2000s, mm-hmm. you know, and I remember it looked different. It looked better. It feels different. Just it just has about more it. texture. It has more depth. It's it's more. It's warmer. You know, there's just something about yeah. it. And I'm not going to get an argument if it's better or not. It is, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like arguing with people about vinyl versus a CD right, yeah. or whatever. Sometimes it's your preference, right? But it was different.
0: And that's kind of the first thing you get about this film is like the fuck bombers love movies, but also the film itself. Has this real reverence mm-hmm. for just like cinema and kind of everything about it and yeah. everything that goes into it.
1: And they happen to have a tracksuit that looks like Bruce Lee's from the end of Game of Death. Yeah, the classic
0: yellow tracksuit. Yeah, and some nunchucks, and they throw it at him, and you're like, "Here, put this on." <laughs> and we get this great like it's um it's just like little like what like eight millimeter footage, right? Yeah, uh, wow. of them in the park, kind of reenact a fight scene. Yeah, the end, the end of Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Because is definitely playing... Uh, yeah, he's got the claw. Yeah, the bad guy. He's got the claw thing, yeah. <laughs> and some little kids come over, harass them. They're like, you guys are being dumb. <laughs> You're idiots. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, so it's just, it just forges this core friendship of these four individuals. Then kind of at Ono's insistence, he, he tells them to like you know really try and practice and go forward. And yeah, make the best film ever. Make the best film ever, and then he'll be happy to just show it here at this theater. Mm-hmm. So while that's going on, yeah. we have these two Yakuza gangs. We do. And um, I guess Muto is the more important Muto's Muto is the one we focus on at first, played by, played by the man, Junkunimura. And he is at a karaoke bar that he happens to own. And there's a bit of a sign exchange going on because um, he's, he's sort of leaving his wife for his mistress, mm-hmm. uh, which was the Junko that I mentioned. Well, I think, I think it was one mistress for another. Oh, yeah.
1: Because, yeah, yeah, it is. It is his yeah. wife is elsewhere. Yeah, his wife is we, elsewhere. we get to her in a minute. He's so got it's...
0: a mistress. He's changing out that mistress for another mistress. A younger one. A right. younger one. And there's some hard feelings there. They make it so fucking comical with the... Um, the two guys the two outside guys. hanging the sign. And, yeah. and it's funny because they run into the fuck bombers and harass them a little bit. Yeah, they're trying to get through on the road. Yeah, they won't move. Um, But then they're trying to, like, move these signs. And the guy who's, like, hanging there at the window is, like, spying and being like, oh, the the one mistress is leaving. Uh Oh, he's kissing her. Yeah. (laughs) And the dude above is like, man, just pay attention. Don't (laughs) drop these. Stop beeping, Yeah. So, yeah, that's going on. And then at their sort of home, uh, his actual wife is there home alone. And this rival clan is launching an all-out attack to completely wipe out the Mudo clan.
1: Yeah, they were, they were, they were thinking Mudo was there. Yeah,
0: they assumed he was going to be home. Cuz they're going to the kitchen asking where he is, but they fucked with
1: the wrong housewife. And she grabs a butcher knife <laughs> and starts slaughtering them. <laughs> and yeah,
0: she she butchers them to every man. Even um, follows one of them out. Yeah, one guy runs. Ikigami is in this group and right now he's just sort of like an underling in this other clan. Yeah. And he's left for dead, but he's still alive. He's bleeding out in the kitchen. And then... He's found by
1: the little girl from the commercial.
0: Yes, because she is the daughter. We found out her name is Matsuko.
1: And there's this really kind of cool surreal scene where she oh, comes God, into I the house. Oh, God, I love this shot, yeah. Yeah. And she looks down and there's just like a, a literal flood of blood all over the floor. Like well,
0: It's cool at first, too, because like it's just like a red floor initially. Yeah, it looks like it could just be a painted floor. And you're something. like, what is going on? And then when it pans out, you can see that her socks are like staining. Yeah. And then she moves a little bit and you see it ripple. Yeah. And then yeah. she kind of
1: does this exaggerated slide thing. She's sliding through <laughs> these doors and into the kitchen and up against... Ikigami. Yeah, Ikigami. she crashes
0: right into him. And they have this weird like, little moment mm-hmm. where he thinks that she's innocent, but it seems like she clearly knows everything that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She like, even tells him to clean the place up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she gets like very bossy to him almost immediately. And it leaves an impression on him. Mm. He just thinks like, oh, this this kid's great for some reason. It's a little, <laughs> little weird, little uh Yeah, it's a little mm-hmm. questionable, but yeah. um But yeah, at the same time, um the wife, I think her name's Shizue, right? Yes. She chases this dude out into the street, up onto a rooftop, finally slaughters him on like some it's like metal grating. Yeah, and all the blood's just pouring <laughs> down the bystanders. <laughs> pretty
1: good <laughs> go, wonderful one negative thing i'll say about this movie was that and then this scene too we see
0: some digital blood yep which you, you really see a lot of it in the climax it's yeah. the one spot of like really glaring cgi and right it's, it's the one negative mark i'll give this film
1: and i don't think it's supposed to be a criticism of using it i think he just used it because it was easier mm-hmm. maybe maybe it is a criticism of other movies relying too much on CG blood, but I don't get that. I don't think it's ever made. It wasn't exaggerated yeah. enough and yeah. So yeah, she she goes like this little police station too, right? Yeah. And she says who she
0: is. And this is like call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because they do a weird thing where like the audio kinda gets like cut out and we just get like the heartbeat, I guess, of the police officer. And it's like getting more and more intense as he is like freaking yeah, out about this moment. Of that, yeah. yeah.
1: and there's a scene of mudo in the
0: police station being interrogated about his wife and this is where we get um kimura yeah the cop interrogating him and it's funny because mudo's trying to like pass it off and be like oh it was self-defense yeah (laughs) and he's like what are you talking about she slaughtered four men and she chased one out into the street (laughs) it's excessive yeah (laughs) <laughs> so ultimately, despite his protests, uh, Kimura can't pass up this opportunity, and he brings Shizue in. And he really like grills her, too, because he tells her that he's going to push to get the commercial pulled off TV. And then we kind of learn the central plot about their family is that they're, they they dote on their daughter Mitsuko. Mm-hmm. And Shizue's dream is for Mitsuko to become a famous film star. Yep. And this toothbrush commercial was like the first step on the path. Yep. And threatening okay. that sets her off when she starts choking the cop and shit. Which does not help her situation at no. all. <laughs> uh, meanwhile we do, some more happens with Ikigami but I don't think we see it till later so maybe we'll save that but well it ties up with the film crew yeah he, uh, he eventually leaves the house mm-hmm. and he's fleeing and trying to get away the fuck bombers are wandering around looking for something good to film and then they turn the corner and they see what's this a bloody Yakuza yeah. stumbling through the alleyway yeah
1: and at first he's like, go away. What the fuck are you doing? And he's like, oh, you look so cool. You know, you rock. And he's like, oh, okay.
0: I do? Okay. All right. You can film me a little bit. <laughs> I love the fucking, like, shit-eating grin that yeah. he has whenever he's He's got like... some great facial expressions <laughs> throughout the whole movie. It's just so wonderful. But yeah, he's like, I'll play it up a little bit and be cool. But when I reach the end of the alley, you guys have to leave because I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So they film him for a little bit. He he really plays it up for them. He throws in some English words, tries to make it like super cool. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, then they they part ways, and kind of the fallout of all of this, Mudo rounds up his crew. They go and just slaughter the other gang. Yeah, the Kitagawa clan. Yeah, is the Kit- what the called Kitagawa the clan. Yeah, just like blows them away. Basically, makes the boss dig his own grave. I love that part because it cuts to night and he's got the grave dug and he's like oh and they're like hey man it's time for sleep and he's yeah like, they're like put a pillow in there I don't want to sleep oh. he's like I don't want to go to sleep will you please set me an alarm <laughs> and then Muto's like y'all yeah, set you an alarm what time do you want it for and he's like please set it for the morning <laughs> he's like yeah okay i wax him with a shovel um, and so Ikigami has to go kind of hide out for a while and lay low and avoid the ire of boss Muto and in the scheme of that, that's when he goes and hooks up with that chick in the kimono. And mm-hmm. he suddenly gets this weird idea that, like, why are we modernizing and embracing Western clothes and Western values? And yeah. we need to be traditional yeah. and go back to, like, classic Japanese values. And Higami calls Muto over the
1: phone, and they do a truce because he's like, I had nothing to do with the hit. I was following orders. You
0: know, he's dead now. Let's just move on. And, and I like what Muto says because he's like, you know what? None of our people died, so sure. Yeah. I'll let it go. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh so ikigami is like okay we're all going to wear kimonos now
0: mm-hmm. and we're going to take residence in this castle yeah we're we're going back to the clan castle we don't need the office anymore yeah and i love that he's telling people stuff he's like you uh shave your head <laughs> and your <laughs> eyebrows everything yeah. and he's like you that mustache looks bad get rid of that <laughs> uh take those glasses off you can only wear japanese style glasses now <laughs> and they're just like yes boss <laughs> And then ten years go by. Yes, we skip ahead with all that. Oh, we should talk about Koji, I guess. Koji oh. is a shy, meek, unassuming schoolboy, and he's wandering the streets while this is going on. And he sees the toothbrush commercial, and he is very enamored with Mitsuko. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's really all his setup is for now. Yeah, that's all we get for now. But yeah, we skip ahead ten years, and the the world is a different place. Yeah, and we're seeing a historical action drama called The Blood of Wolves. Blood of Wolves.
1: <laughs> what Chirada says is going to be the next classic Japanese film. I mean, you're, you're led to believe that this is getting released. They've actually made a movie and it's coming mm-hmm. out. And, but such is not the case.
0: <laughs> no, it's just sort of like a pilot trailer kind of deal. Yeah,
1: they're hanging out in their old theater.
0: Which, which is ran is, down now. It's, it's
1: bankrupt, it's, it's... It's, it's
0: for sale. They're hanging out with, like I guess, groupies, for lack
1: of a better word. They found some chicks that were willing to give them the time of day. Yeah, they're probably like <laughs> high school girls or something, you know, or just out of high school. Um, so they're explaining to them that,
0: no, that wasn't an actual movie. It's just like a, uh, it's a proof of concept. Yeah, you take that to go sell it to a studio to make the film. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, well, when are you going to make the film? And they're like, well,
1: tomorrow, they all say. And yeah. You can tell they've said this many, many times.
0: And immediately you notice Sasaki is getting tired of their yeah, shit. He's despondent. He's not saying anything. He's wearing the tracksuit still. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because they talk about it and they're like, well, when did you make it? And they're like, oh, it was like a year or two ago. And they're like, no, it was this Three year. Years. Yeah. That was years, four, four years, years ago. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to talk about this little like Blood of Wolves thing. Um, that was actually the working title of a movie that later got changed to Kinkichi. And Sono and Taksakaguchi were actually working on making that as a film. But it never happened. Nice. So that's like a little like weird oh, meta yeah, joke. insertion yeah. joke kind of thing.
1: There's a fun um, part where Harada's explaining to the girls who have no idea what he's talking about, about 35 millimeter, what it is.
0: Oh, yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah. It, it's just more love for the format,
0: and I'm all about that. Oh, there is one more fl- We knew this would happen. There's one more flashback scene we should mention. Uh-oh. Um, kind of one of the last things that happened before it jumps ahead. Um... The Fuck Bombers pass by this little, like, shrine on a street. It's oh, like, yes. It's like a little a box where you write a prayer and put it in the box. Right. And Harada makes a prayer that he puts in there for everyone. To the movie gods. To the god of movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. That he wants all their hope and energy so that one day they can make the greatest movie ever that will be remembered for all time. And he says he doesn't care how many he makes. He just needs to make the one great one. And he's even willing to die for it if he has to. Mm-hmm for what you wish for. Yeah. What you pray for. A little setup there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Also, let's stick with the fuck bombers for a minute. We'll so, with the fuck bombers, okay. Um, as this night wears on, Sasaki gets more and more despondent and kind of just tired of them, which eventually leads to a big blow up between all of them where he sort of is like, you know, we've been doing this for like 10 years. Yeah. We've gotten nowhere at all. We've graduated. We're just. Going around like it's never going to happen. Wasting time. And then Harada's like, you know, you don't know. Like, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. Yeah. And then Sasaki's like, I can't live like this anymore. I can't just keep saying every day, like, well, tomorrow is going to be the day my life starts. And there's actually a physical altercation between all of them. They get in a brawl. And it's funny because the fight is like so choreographed and you mm-hmm. can tell it's from like the years and years of them practicing to make movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this is something I'll
1: say right now about Tex like because we all know he's, he's a pretty good martial artist, you know, and a great choreographer too. Yeah. But he, it's really cool how he's playing his character in this movie. Cause he's playing him with some competence. Like mm-hmm. he does have some martial arts competence, but not to the level that texts like actually has. Yeah. So he's actually playing down his abilities and it,
0: it's interesting (laughs) he plays off really well because like the core of Sasaki is that he is this street punk that just like got in brawls yeah and then he started to idolize Bruce Lee because they sort of pushed him in that direction right I I love that he throws in all the like (laughs) (laughs) wah yeah and stuff (laughs) (laughs) so they're having the
1: knockdown drag out fight and it's ugly and he says I'm leaving I'm going back to my job because we're not doing anything here yep
0: it's it's real hurtful you can tell that everyone's kind of just like ah no one's happy in the end
1: Mm -hmm. oh there's even a remark i liked i wrote down that sasaki's talking about he's because they're filming the entire time the camera Mm, is filming and he's like the cameras are all digital (laughs) you know we used to use actual film it was super eight but still now it's all digital And it's just one of those little barbs that I think Sono's throwing at Mm -hmm. modern filmmaking. For
0: sure. And it's funny because Harada tries to defend it. And he's like, oh, that's just you got to go with the age and the times. Yeah. And (laughs) and Harada's talking about how
1: they're going to be filmmakers. Most most filmmakers
0: make shit and live in big houses. Mm -hmm. But they're going to make real movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite lines in the whole film. Because it's just that whole thing of like, you make one or two great movies. You get super rich. And then everything you make is garbage and not even worth the time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just and how we sort of mentioned. That's a, you know. unfortunately kind of true for a lot of directors. Yeah, you know,
1: a certain filmmaker we were talking about at the top of the show. <clears throat> Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think that happened Yeah, him. You know, whatever. <clears throat> <laughs> and yes, yeah, so that's kind of the thing. Like, what is better to have become a famous director or have one perfect movie? I don't know. No. Yeah. Hmm. I kind of embody a lot of the spirit of Harada, so I would say the one great movie is good for me. But No, I agree. Um so
1: I guess that tells their story for now. Yes. We we can cut back over to our yakuza clans. Yes. Uh Mudo has yet another woman coming in to take over the karaoke bar. Mhm.
0: There's
1: a the whole thing with uh, the men outside doing the same thing with the sun. <laughs> uh but we
0: learn they have a, a girl tied up yes, in one of the rooms. Captured. Yes. And this is the daughter of Mitsuko. So it's not immediately apparent at first. We don't know that yet, yeah. Because she looks quite different from her childhood appearance. I love that they do that, too, because it kind of just shows how her life changed mm-hmm. in the 10 years. Yeah. Um, and she just has this great, like, punk rock vibe to she her. She does. Yeah, she has a really cool look. <laughs> so then there's an attack
1: by the rival clan. hmm And in all the chaos, uh, she gets untied. And jumps out the window. It's
0: hilarious because she's tied up in a back room. This has got like one of those paper doors. Yeah. And the bullets are coming G. through. And she's like, untie me, untie me. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's even a scene where a guy
0: just sticks his finger through there just to look at her. Yeah. Uh, but when she gets free, she doesn't even try to do anything else other than just dive out the window yeah. and run away. Miraculously, she doesn't cut herself <laughs> up or anything. <laughs> well, she's got that, um, the, the action girl she, personality. She has so. X factor. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't really know the context yet of what's going on. We No. Um, no. Swiftly, we learn a few things. We learn that um, Muto's wife is being released from prison. Mm-hmm. What is like 10 days away, I think. Yes. And she's kind of lost her mind a little bit. Yeah, she's not too right anymore. Yeah. There's a scene where Mudo goes to visit her in preparation for her release. And she obsessively is singing the toothbrush commercial. Mm-hmm. And uh, we learn that he's been telling her that he's paid to produce a movie with Mitsuko in it. Yep. So her gift for escaping jail is that it will be her screen debut finally, yes. like she always wanted. Uh, but what he doesn't tell her is that Mitsuko ran away, mm-hmm. and that stalled production, and it's not finished. And it wasn't even a movie. It was like a commercial or something they were making. Yeah. it's uh, not, Things aren't as well as it yeah. is, but he's trying to keep a handle on everything. Right. And they really have this heartfelt moment, too, because like she tells, they tell each other they love them, and then as they're escorting her away, he actually like sheds a tear. Mm-hmm. As she again starts to sing the song again, as she's like bopping, yeah. And there's a weird line that she tells him that I, it's not really relevant, but it was it was interesting that she says that um, that whenever she would go out in the yard in prison, she would sometimes look at the sky and be amazed at how blue it was. Mm. But that recently, when she looked up, it didn't really impress her. And that one of her friends in jail told her that the sky doesn't exist to impress you; it's just there. Yeah. And Mudo spins into this really really kind of sweet thing for to be a yakuza boss, where he's like, well. This guy doesn't want to impress you, but I want to impress you. Right. And I will with this movie that your daughter <laughs> is making.
1: Uh meanwhile, Matsuko is out running around. She's being followed by the goons. So she comes across this kind of phone booth and uh offers him 100,000 yen to pretend to be her lover for the day.
0: Yep, and just kind of hide her from the from the goons. Yeah. And uh And this is our meek little Koji. It is we don't know yet yet, but I mean, we do kind of know it as an audience, but, hmm. um, but, but he what, doesn't realize it's Mitsuko, right? Because she is, again, totally different from the child version in the commercial. Um, and he kind of, well, I mean, he's very meek and very just wimpy, I guess we should say. So yeah, he's wimpy. She easily browbeats him along. Well, she's also, yeah, she's
1: very dominant, you know, very <laughs> assertive. And I mean, it's not like you would—you you wouldn't have to pay me. You say that with be her. admiration, Jason. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to. <laughs> I'm all about it. So yes, I'll do whatever you say. <laughs> and uh, she tells him that they're
0: going to go to a man's place. Yep. Well, they do some funny, like, little vignette things first, too. Like, she takes some shoe shopping. Yeah, she
1: gets some shoes. And that's when you really get
0: her dominant personality, because she gets the shoes on, and then she's like, come over here, bend down, and tie these for me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) he's just like, who the fuck is this woman? Yeah. But he is compelled to do as she demands. I get it. it. I get it. (laughs) And then they rock up at this apartment, and it's funny, because she's, like, coaching him on what to say. Yeah. Yeah, He's very (laughs) meek and... Not saying the right things. She's whispering
1: to him. She gets the guy to come to the door. They bust in. Well, she busts in, Kicks yeah. his ass. Put, throws him <laughs> through the door. He's there with the lady, and she's just screaming. And it turns out that she was with him, but he ran away mm-hmm. when her father's goons came together. I him. guess it's to
0: say it now, he was working on this thing they were shooting. And she wanted to run away, and he she kind of convinced him to help her run away. And then almost immediately he crumpled and didn't help her anymore when he Yeah. He saw the might of the, the clan. So And she tells Koji to come in the house and there's a funny bit where he starts <laughs> taking off his shoes. She's like, Don't take off your shoes. <laughs> um yeah, and then we see what a bad bitch she is as she breaks a beer bottle mm-hmm. and then starts making the dude eat it.
1: Yeah, and she's singing this the commercial jingle that she yeah. did, putting the shards in her mouth <laughs> and then she like puts one in her mouth. Well she
0: says she's gonna give him a goodbye kiss. Yeah. So she's like kissing him with the glasses tearing up his mouth at the same time. And there's a great shot too where right at the end you see one like poke through his cheek. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Coach is realizing who's, who she is now. Yeah, When she sings that's when it clicks for him. Yeah. And then he's in a watch of like oh this is my my dream girl that I've always mm-hmm. loved and admired. Yep. And we get a nice little scene with them and then maybe we'll go up to this point and then cut somewhere else but um, they talk a little more as they're running around town mm. and he decides to give the money back to her. Yeah, he doesn't want the money. He'll and, do whatever she wants. And, and yeah. She thinks it's weird. And he's like, no, he's like, let me pay you this money to pretend to be your lover for the day. Mm-hmm. And that'll make me happy. Yeah. And you can tell it actually like breaks her shell a little bit. Yeah. That probably no one's ever really acted that way to her perhaps. Yeah. Given the family she's in and the life she's been kind of thrust into uh, but then some cars pull up, and her dad's guys come out and grab them. Meanwhile, let's check in on some other stuff. So, um, Ikigami, we see his castle. <laughs> we see everybody in kimonos running around. Yep. He has a giant, like, wall-sized poster of Mitsuko that's yep. modern day. <laughs> yep, yep. And his like lead underboss is collecting photos of her <laughs> for yes. him. Yes, he is. Quite obviously obsessed with Mitsuko. And we can see that their whole operation's gone a little off the rails, as far as being like a successful yakuza clan. Yeah, does not really do anything? <laughs> um, other than they orchestrated this attack, but um, I, they, I guess it's one of those things where it's like it's been so long; it's finally time for them to, you know, settle the fight. But mm-hmm. uh, and, and meanwhile, Boss Muto goes to check on the uh, the filming. We get this weird like. It almost seems like it's supposed to be like this like noir spy thriller type thing or something. Oh right. With like the woman singing as she walks down the hall and there's yeah. like spies there in suits. Yeah. Um and he's trying to talk to the director and, and get more time for them to get Mitsuko back and get her in the film. Because what we learn is that this lady who's in the red dress is like her replacement. Yeah. And she's not as good,
1: but they've only got like what? five days or something to finish it. Mm -hmm. So he's like, sorry, we're stuck. We can't
0: start over. And that was after already giving him like an extra week. Yeah. And the director's trying to explain to him like, you've cost us all this money and we could get in huge trouble if we don't finish on time. We just can't wait anymore. So what this eventually builds to is this crazy moment where the actress in the, the thing they're shooting, she's supposed to like point a gun at another guy to shoot him. And it's this very like just like limp, arm, weak-willed, like... Sure. Someone who's never held a gun in their life, I'm sure. And Muto just laughs out loud, just kind of bellows over the shoot and Mm. brings it to a halt. And he's like, you call that shooting a gun? And he like actually charges her and kind of stares her down and shows her how to actually shoot someone.
1: He just grabs the gun, doesn't (laughs) really look at
0: the guy, just starts pulling the trigger. It's not even a real gun. (laughs) And he's like, that's all this is. Everything here is fake. This is worthless. And he just storms out. That's a movie for you. Everything's fake. Yep. <laughs> but now they have a crisis because he just burned his last bridge. Mm-hmm. And now they have no shoot, no film, no nothing. Yep. And they've got 10 days to go. Indeed. But they have recovered Mitsuko and unfortunately her runaway lover. <laughs> Who do they think?
1: And they keep punching him in the, in the van. Yeah, the car, the ride, over, car ride over. I love
0: it because he's like, hey, just admit that you slept with Mitsuko. Yeah. He's like, well, I, I, I didn't. I did. Whap, whap. <laughs> and Mitsuko's not saying shit. She's she just, even teases him at one yeah. point. She's like, oh, come on, Koji. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, why is this happening to me? <laughs> <laughs> so we get to this point where they're they're back in the, uh, kind of like I guess the offices for the Mudo. And they're all reassembled. And um, they're basically going to kill Koji at this point.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And Mitsuko is kind of like... Kinda, she only like, says her piece of what was wrong with that shoot. That like it was just all fake and it was really lame. And that if she's going to make her screen debut, she wants it to actually be something really awesome. Mm-hmm. She wants it to be like this really impactful star. And that that shoot wasn't it. Yeah,
1: but also it's like... Uh... I kind of liked Mudo until this point, where he starts knocking his daughter. Around. Yeah,
0: he slaps her around a little bit, but that's not cool. He is a yakuza boss, so yeah, that,
1: that reminds you. It's like, oh yeah, this guy's—he's a bad guy. He's a fucking yakuza.
0: And that's an interesting thing about this film is that, like, the the comedic tone of it is like so engaging that it draws you in. And then there'll be moments where you remember, like, oh shit, there's two yakuza gangs at war, right. and like everyone's trying to kill each other. Yeah, um, you really notice that when we get to the climax, which I'm excited <laughs> to talk about. But oh, also before
1: this. uh Muto's talking to his gang about how they've
0: got to make this movie now. Yeah, that's his decision is that they're just going to have to do it all themselves and there's no other like, option.
1: What? They start cleaning the place up because it was attacked earlier and the cops outside watching. And he's like, what are they doing?
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it because uh, Kimura has like, uh, I think his name's Tanaka. He's like his like, second in command detective. Mm. And then he's like, what are they doing? And it looks like they're just cleaning the offices. And he's like, well, when you do enough stakeouts like me, you'll understand that everything they do is a front because yeah. they know we're watching. They're just putting on a show. They're just putting on a show for us. <laughs> but yeah, and I love how Mudo sells everyone on this because he's like, we have to do this for she's away because you know she she killed people and yeah. she went to prison for me.
1: Yeah, she gave up so much for us, and she
0: sacrificed for the for the family. And I would do anything to repay her for that. It yeah. doesn't matter that she's my wife. And she calls out, he calls out some of the other members in the gang, and he's like, you, if you did that and you went to jail and your wife and kid were starving and they, they weren't going to make it, mm-hmm. I would do everything in my power to make sure they were taken care of until you got out. And so we just need to do this one thing and make a movie from scratch for my wife. Yep.
1: <laughs> and they're all, they're all behind that. They don't know what they're going to do, but they're all behind it.
0: It's such a ridiculous premise,
1: but yeah, they're all in. But, um, so Matsuko gets there with Koji... And you know they're slapping him around and everything, and threatening him to kill him. But mm-hmm. then she says, "Hey, this is a director. That's why I was with him."
0: Yeah, she kind of has one of those spur of the moment ideas. She starts feeling bad for him. She's. Well, she didn't know ever want mess. him to get killed, yeah. So. But yeah, so she lies and she says, "I ran away with him because um, he's actually a director himself, and he had a much better idea. And I just want to make the movie that he told me about."
1: <laughs> right. So then they're all like. He has this nice little example of how much the movie is going to cost. He's asking I Koji. fucking love this. Yeah, he's talking about how he has breakfast at the hotel after he's with a whore, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just nothing. It's cheap, you mm-hmm. know, it's forgetful. And lunch with his mistress, which is a little bit more special. He'll take a little bit more time for that.
0: That's his regular mistress. That's his regular
1: mistress. Mm-hmm. But he'll have dinner with his wife, and that's special and that's unique. <laughs> and he talks about how if this is going to cost breakfast, I don't even care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do what you want to do. I'll just give you the money and you can turn it yeah. in. Yeah. And if it's lunch, well, I need to have some say in what's going on and some oversight. But if it's dinner, I got to call
0: the shots. And yeah, he says, if it's going to be dinner, you're basically family to me now. Yeah. <laughs> and we're in it thick and thin. And Koji says, uh, breakfast. <laughs> and I love it because he gets one of his underlings to hand him just a coin. And he yeah, tosses like it a, to him.
1: Yeah, it's like 50 yen or something <laughs> like that. But then he takes out this big sack of money. And it's like, here, take this, make the movie. Of course, Koji doesn't know what the fuck he's doing.
0: And then immediately they start ordering equipment. Yeah. Cameras, lighting, booms. They're getting all the shit in. And the cops are further perplexed. <laughs> are those weapons? <laughs> oh, they're hiding weapons in there. Yeah. And the, and the, uh, the second guy's like, all oh, right, that's film equipment. And he's <laughs> like, no, it can't be. It's got to be a front. Yeah. I know it's a front.
1: So then Koji is like, he's got no choice but to go along with this. And he's- they're like, He's getting overwhelmed. Yeah, they're asking him, are these lights good? Which one's the best? Where should we put them? How is how's this camera? Is this the right one? Yeah, it's
0: like, what setting should we put this light on? <laughs> uh, how high do we hold the boom arm? Yeah. Um, Is this recording? Is this how you make it record? So then he freaks and just runs. Runs for it. And this is where we get, like, this is almost like the love exposure moment where, like, a weird synchronicity happens yeah. that, like, unites everything and then also projects the story forward. They chase him down, and it happens to be right where that little shrine box is. hmm and just overwhelmed with the stress of it all, he just hurls. Yeah, And like spews... Projectile vomiting all <laughs> over the shrine,
1: which causes all the prayers to come out. Yeah,
0: it blows out the box, and all the prayers pop out, and conveniently, he notices Harada's prayer, mm-hmm. and he sees there's a phone number on it. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, wait, I need to consult uh, one of my uh, assistants, <laughs> yeah. uh, I need to make a phone call. <laughs> so then we finally catch back up with the fuck bombers. And they're hanging out like this like a little restaurant or something, right? Or maybe a bar. It's probably more like a bar. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's just some some little bar. And
1: Harada, it looks like he's maybe interviewing uh, potential actresses or something. But for him, it's like basically a date.
0: Yeah, it turns out he's on a date. Kind of skeevy. He's doing a lot of weird like when a man's with a woman <laughs> and yeah. he really wants to kiss her, he can't just walk up and kiss her. He has yeah. to he has to build the moment. He has to sell. Make everything. all these plans. It has to be yeah. right. He can't just kiss her. A woman could just kiss a man, but for a man, it's different. It's harder. He's just like BSing the Imagine fuck out that, of this.
1: Imagine that a man just kissing another woman.
0: <laughs> um, so his buddies take the call and they're like, hey, Harada, this dude wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, whatever, I'm on a date, go away. And then they're like, uh, he says he wants to make a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and Harada's
1: in the middle of trying to get a kiss from this chick who's not too
0: receptive. I love it because he's like leaned over the table and then she just puts her hand up. Yeah. In his face. <laughs>
1: uh so yeah it's koji and mitsuko and they tell him we've got all this money it's going to be 35 millimeter we mm-hmm. want you to make this movie yeah we just need a movie made that's mm-hmm.
0: all we need you have no budget
1: <laughs> and he seems kind of resistant to this at first it's like he's not even answering the call mm-hmm. you know which i guess is that classic hero's journey you right know? he spent all this time just Talking the talk, and not walking the walk.
0: When and you think about his philosophy, it has to seem unreal to say, like, every day, like, well, this day could be the day. Yeah. But then when it finally comes, yeah. Would you even notice it at first?
1: Right. So eventually it's like, okay, well, this seems to be legit. Let's do it. But I need Sasaki. So they go to this restaurant where he's working. <laughs> and it's funny because he has, Harada has the bodyguards go in and attack him. Yeah, he's, he, like, he he's throws, like he's like, I need the two of you to yeah. do a little thing for me. He throws Sasaki his nunchucks and they go <laughs> in to attack him and
0: he makes short work of them. It's a great fun little fight scene. Although he dunks the dude's face in the bowl of yeah. of stuff to you. Uh,
1: so they go back to uh, Mudo's place and he's gathered everyone together. And they, he says to call Koji director and Harada is the producer.
0: Mm-hmm. And immediately Harada's like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh-uh. And then Koji's like, you can do everything. Just go along with it.
1: Yeah, Koji kind of explains to him quickly what's happened. To mm-hmm. you, what's going
0: on and here. And he's like, I'm sorry I dragged you into this. This is really awful. Um, but it excites him even more. He says the idea that Mudo has is that he just wants to film their gang fight. Yeah. Their showdown. Yeah. And I don't know how that's even going to be a movie. And then Harada's like, no, this is great. This is perfect. Because this is, this is going to be real. real. Realer than real. Because we're going to film a real fight. Yes. And his plan is to call Ikigami. Tells him they're making a
1: movie
0: with Mitsuko. And they go over there. He says, so I need to go over there and talk to him. I'll take Mitsuko and uh, Koji. Mm-hmm. Everyone else wait here. Practice yeah. with the equipment. <laughs> yeah.
1: And Harada and... Akigami recognize each other. Yeah, they're
0: like, "Oh, you're the bloody guy from the alley." And he's like, "You're those kids at the camera." Mm-hmm. And
1: Matsuko and Akigami recognize each other. But by this time, I mean, we know we know Akigami's consumed with Matsuko, mm-hmm. but th- they had an idea that he he was in the Matsuko too though, right? I think Karada suspected it, okay, but Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's not really revealed yet. Maybe it was that, that was a lucky accident perhaps. <laughs>
0: Um, so Okigami agrees to do this. Yeah, we we don't really get all the ground rules that are laid down, but we kind of intuit some of them, which is that uh, Harada insists they fight with katanas instead of guns. Which Okigami's into. That'll be more cinematic. And then, yeah, they're like, that's great. It's more Japanese. Traditional.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, they don't ever say it, but I feel like there's some rules about, like, not harming the film crew. (laughs) That, at first, that seems like that's in place. Right. Um... Yeah. And then they just kind of have to obey his directions. And if he tells them to stop for a moment, they have to stop and, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's an actual film to shoot. And then we get some great, like they're prepping the night before and Mudo and Harada kind of argue about like what the plot's going to be. And then we get this like dream sequence where it's like Mudo's version of what the story is. And it's this fucking amazing scene where it's like, you're in the castle. Ikigami's like there with his dudes hanging out. Then suddenly everyone starts like busting in and fighting And he realizes there's cameras there, and they're on these like tracks like panning around the whole castle. And he's like, what's going on? I don't understand. We're losing. And then he's like, wait, we're we're losing because we're in reality. But they're in fantasy because they're making a movie, and fantasy's overtaking reality. What's going on? (laughs) And then they do this fucking dramatic, like, Mudo walks in in a stark white suit with a hat, dual pistols. Right, John Woo. Yeah, just, like, fucking guns down everyone. Mm-hmm. And the way they play it, though, at first you think it is. That's how it's happening. That's how it's happening, but then it's just like Mudo's fantasy. And then Harada's like, no, 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 let me write a script. (laughs) And then we get this like training montage where it does like a lot of like classic Japanese film tropes where they're at a beach and everyone's in like sweats running and stuff and practicing. And Mm -hmm. I love how it like pans along. And as it pans along, people will like come into the background and they'll be doing stuff and then it just keeps going. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And it's like you see um, Sasaki's teaching some of them how to fight hand-to-hand better. Um, The boom people are practicing with those. Like their (laughs) spears or something. Yeah, they're like lunging with them. (laughs) Uh, The sound guys are like reading books about like audio recording and engineering. Um, And then it turns out that's also a fantasy. And he's like, well, that's what I would do if we had the time, but But we we don't. (laughs) So we're just going to start filming. So he basically stays up all night and like hacks out a real quick script. So they get everyone together.
1: And he's got everyone positioned. The Yakuza's are facing off.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ikigami's men are in the inner room, and then all of Mudo's are like behind one door. And you can tell that they're getting frustrated, because he's like, okay, he takes a a few quick (laughs) shots, and he has to do another setup. And they're like, well, why is
1: this taking so long? Why am I just standing here?
0: (laughs) But I love it with Ikigami, because he's like, all right, I need you guys to like lean down and really... Really look like you're mean and you're ready to fight. Yeah. And then that, that shit-eating grin just immediately pops on his face for a second. And he's like, ooh, and leans into it.
1: <laughs> oh, we also need to mention that one of the Yakuza guys gave uh, Koji a bunch of Coke. Yeah. Because if you're making a movie, obviously there's got to be cocaine around, right? And it's, it's this huge tin that it, he It's like a lunchbox tin or something. Yeah. yeah.
0: He's like, take this. He's like, I don't want this. And he's like, well, if we're making a movie, we need cocaine. Just hold <laughs> yeah. on to it. <laughs> And then that's also where um, Koji doesn't know where to be, because he's obviously not really going to direct it, and mm-hmm. he's confused. And then Harada's like, hey, you know what? Let me play the director. You play Koji, who is in love with Mitsuko, yeah. and go stay with her. He'll defend Mitsuko, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, yeah I can do that. that yeah. But unfortunately, that puts him into the fight. Which yeah. becomes <laughs> a real fight. <laughs> Yeah, but it is funny, because at first he calls action, and they rush into the room, and they start clashing, and immediately a few of them get cut down, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the um, lights get unplugged, Yeah, and he's like, wait, stop, cut, stop, cut, stop, cut, yeah. cut, cut, cut,
1: so they have to get the lights back on, and everyone's <laughs> just sort of waiting, and he's like, okay, it's a reset, you guys go, you know, he's, he's like facing them off again,
0: he's like, everybody square up in front of the combatant that you're closest to, <laughs> and have your weapons raised and ready, he's like, okay, that looks good, all right, action, yeah. go, good.
1: And they start fighting, and
0: they're actually literally killing each other. And, and this is where we get more CG blood. And that's mm. kind of that's uh... the one flaw in the film, and it's def- it's noticeable. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the whole rest of the film is just this fucking brawl. Yeah. And it goes way off the rails as you might expect. Yep.
1: And uh, Koji falls and gets some of the cocaine in his face. <laughs> And it seems to uh, make him hyper and nigh
0: unkillable. Yeah. He suddenly becomes a decent fighter. <laughs> um, there's also the great scene where he like hallucinates Mitsuko, chopping the people down, and then they have like the rainbow blood sprays. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: so everyone's fighting. Um, Ikigama and Muto share this moment together where they're sort of admiring Mitsuko because she's taking care of herself. Mm. You, know, she's, you know, she's holding her own. She is. Unsurprisingly. And Ikigama's trying to ask Mudo, if he can be killed by his
0: daughter, yeah, he says, I really want to be killed by your daughter if I have to die.
1: But at that moment, one of Ikigama's men beheads Mudo. right? Because he's just standing there talking, yeah, and his head anything. goes flying up in the air. <laughs> and then Ikigama asks the question again, and we
0: see Mudo give the okay, the yeah. okay sign, gives him the like the V, yeah, um, <laughs> his but, headless body. But that's when, like, I think that's the first moment where it suddenly you're like, oh, wait, fuck, there's like a two gangs fighting and they're going to kill each other Yeah, and, and also, like, fight I, to the man. And I
1: was, because we were kind of set up earlier with those, you know, the fake outs, the fake outs. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, is this whole thing a fake out?
0: And I think that's why they do that. Cause it, it plays with your expectations a little bit. Yeah. Um, but things rapidly start to decline from this point. Um, and I think the, the, the decapitation starts it. And then the real turning point, because Mitsuko sees this. Yeah, And, and she loses her shit and just starts like, Desperately fighting. Koji's trying to help Mitsuko, but his hand gets cut off. Yeah. And it's really gnarly because it goes flying in the air and the katana like sticks into the ceiling. Yeah, And the hand's still clutched <laughs> to the handle. Yeah. And this is when it sinks in for Mitsuko. Like, what the fuck are we doing? And she's like, I never wanted him to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And she's very sad for him. And he actually like has this charming moment where he's kind of like, you know, I don't really care because I've had that hand my whole life. And I've never really even felt anything before. Mm-hmm. But now that I've met you, I'm I'm happy to lose it to have the feelings I have. And they're having this
1: tender moment and go to kiss and everything, but then a katana comes down right in the middle of his head, almost splitting his head apart, like stops yeah. right above the eyes.
0: Yeah. And that's really where your heart kind of sinks if you're if you've, if if, you've if been endeared, Koji, yeah. Yeah. If you've been endeared to these characters, that's when you're like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So she goes into a rage, starts killing everyone she can see. Yeah, she gets
1: surrounded, but beheads everyone in one fell swoop. Um, Sasaki's kicking ass, as you would expect.
0: Oh, yeah. Full on, bru- uh, he goes through two phases of Bruce Lee in this because he starts in the tracksuit, and then later on he takes that off and he's just in like the black pants. Yeah, like, Enter the Dragon. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, he's fighting Kagami, and they're kind of evenly matched. They even compliment each other. Yeah, yeah. Ikigami says that he fights like Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and walks away.
0: It's and, really uh, funny. Sasaki's
1: cause... going nuts hitting everyone. And there's a funny part where he hits the guy holding the
0: reflector. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that dude just careens backwards. Yeah. It's funny because Ikigami's like this weird like video game boss or something where it's like he comes out and fights people for a bit and then he'll yeah. like walk away. Yeah, yeah. Which maybe that's part of the script. I think he goes to the sound man who's still recording through all this. And that's the uh, underboss to Muto. Yeah. He's this number
1: two guy. Second in command. And he's talking, asking him if he's got Matsuko, you know, her voice on the yeah, tape. Yeah, is, it, is it coming through good? But uh, we heard a gunshot ring out, <laughs> and the sound guy just fucking shot him. And he says, that's for boss Muto. Mm-hmm. So with the gunshot, everyone's like, oh, wait, wait, they're using guns now. So everyone's
0: pulling their pistols <laughs> and firing at each other. And then we crash into the world of a typical final moment of a Yakuza film yeah. and everybody starts gunning everybody down. Everyone's getting shot to pieces. Uh, but it seems like Mudo's men kind of prepared for this because they brought plenty of weapons and they start unloading as well. Yeah. Even Hirata's camera people are like using freaking M16s. <laughs> well, they set up, it, it's crazy that they even do this. They set up like a camera track. Yeah, yeah, and he gets up on there to do the big panning shot all the way across the castle, right. and They're they give dollying him dollying across. They give him like an assault rifle, yeah. So he's just firing it as he's shooting, right? And then again, yeah, this is where it sinks in more because he gets gunned down and mm-hmm. just like collapses you're into like, the oh, camera. Shit. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the um, the chick—I can't remember their names. You had them, but I did. Um, it's okay. It's okay. She has like a submachine gun, so she can do her hand cam. And just like blowing people mm-hmm. away with mm-hmm. that, she gets shot down.
1: <laughs> um, there's a cool scene where we get a recreation of that shot at the beginning of the film mm. with Mitsuko. Yeah, she slides through the blood up to. Uh,
0: I love how she kicks her shoes off too. Yeah, she yeah. doesn't. Up to Ikigama. <laughs> yeah, she she crashes into him almost the exact same way. And that's where like he has this moment where I, I guess he wants to kind of like profess his love to her, but. Um, they're kind of past that point at this part. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cops show up. Yep. And, uh, of course, they, all they've these heard guys. the gunshots. That's yeah. the cue to go. Yeah. They've got, like, SWAT on hand. They're ready to raid the place. They start shooting people up. Koji comes out. He's still alive, fueled by cocaine, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Detective Kimura's like, it's go time. We're going to finish this. It's time to bring both these clans down in the, the gang violence in our city.
1: Mm hmm. Matsuko sees Koji go down getting shot, she goes
0: crazy, draws her katana. It's a weird little moment too cuz he's like in this weird like cocaine-fueled stupor still barely alive and he's just like drifting toward Kimura and it freaks him out, so he just guns Koji down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sets Mitsuko off and you think she's going to have a cool badass moment and nope. then he's just like shooter. Yep. And they shot. a whole line of policemen just gun her down. Ikigami and his man get shot up. Yeah, they, they fucking waste everybody in this place. But Hirata is still alive, barely. Ooh, but before that, yeah. we do get a little final loving moment where when Mitsuko falls, she falls near Koji and they kind of reach for each other for a second. Yeah, And then they die. And then that's when Ikigami gets shot. And he collapses onto Mitsuko as he stumbles back. Right, right, right. And it's kind of the very tragic ending of that sort of love triangle. <laughs> mm, yeah. And Sasaki is shot up. Which is, which is sad because they're like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And he's just, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> He's just blowing him away. And Harada goes down too, but it turns out he's not quite dead. Yep. As they're mopping up, it turns out his wounds aren't fatal, mm-hmm. and he manages to stumble on his feet. And he starts correcting the can reels and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he's creeping around, getting all the camera reels. Mm-hmm. And he has these sad moments where he finds his three friends and kind of remarks on each of them.
1: Yeah, he, he's like amazed that they stayed at their posts and did their jobs and everything. Mm-hmm. But he, it, it, there's no real sadness. right? It's, it's more of like, oh, he's, he's like we've honoring made the, them. We've made the movie, yeah. right? We did it. And we then see him running down the road, bloody, laughing, crying...
0: He's, like, hysterical. Yeah, yeah. Keeps yelling out, fuck bombers. (laughs) They did it. They made the movie. And then we kind of cut to another scene. We get the theater, their little home base. Mm -hmm. But it's restored, and it's perfect, and everything is wonderful. And there's a huge crowd there to see the debut of Why Don't You Play in Hell? Yep. Which turns out to be the movie that they just made. And as the film finishes, and everybody stands up and is applauding and is happy, and it's a packed theater... We see everybody we just saw die all there Oof. in the crowd, and they Oof. kind of rise to take their bow. And
1: Yeah, people like like Mudo, his head got cut off, he's, he's got like a bandage around his neck. Yeah,
0: as if it was like a stunt thing or something. Yeah, everything's fine. Um, everyone's happy, we even get to see Koji and Mitsuko side by side, mm-hmm. smiling. Um, another fantasy. Another fantasy. We cut back, he's running in the road, and you can see he's starting to slow down now. Yeah, yeah. He's losing steam. Right. He, he's getting tired. Yeah. He's getting a little wobbly with his running. And then, very loudly, off camera, we hear someone shout out, cut. Yep. And, and then it kind he kind of just slows down, stops running, streams out of frame. And we see some people
1: kind of moving in the background, and we're like, oh, well, this is the filming of this movie.
0: <laughs> Ending, yes. <laughs> and then we cut the credits, man. And that's how it ends. And we get our boy Koji singing the song. All
1: right. That
0: is the movie. That is the movie, man. Tragic. You got any fun trivia and shit about this one? I've got a little bit more that we didn't mine out along the way, so. Um, this had a surprisingly good U S release, um, draft house films, Alamo draft house. They wanted to get into like licensing and releasing some films. They acquired this before it's world premiere, uh, at the 2013 Venice film festival. And they had this big plan of doing a 2014 theater release and a VOD after that. Um, I don't think it was like wide, wide release. I think it played in draft house mm-hmm. theaters and right. Some other places like that, some festivals, but, you know. And then after it debuted in France, it went on to win a audience award at L'Etrange Festival mm. in Paris. So some little, little festival honors there. And I guess the last little thing I have to dole out is, like, what do people generally think about this film? If you check out its Metacritic rating, the average is a 68. Of course, we know Metacritic goes out of 100. So right. uh, for a little weird film like this, I think that's pretty pretty nice pretty high
1: yeah
0: well um, and I didn't have a better spot to dole this out along the way so I'll just bring it up now I think if you wanted a nice companion piece to this film you should check out One Cut of the Dead I agree I agree it has that same sort of it's the same thing it's a movie about making a movie we could have easily done it in this block but um, it uh, it has that same like infectious hyper love of film energy to it Mm. agreed I think they like mesh well
1: I'm sure those filmmakers had seen this one. Oh, probably, for sure.
0: Perhaps even an inspiration. Yeah. You're about to murder your mic cord over there. I am. I'm going <laughs> to kill crazy rampage in a minute. woo So, So, um, I guess that brings us to what did you think about this film?
1: Uh, I liked it. Mm. I liked this movie. Good. It's a very fun movie. It's fast-paced. It's breezy. It's a little over two hours, but you don't really feel like it's taking too long to get to where it's going.
0: Not quite the four hour epic of love exposure, but you know,
1: yeah, I'm a little at, at the beginning. I'm a little, because mm, I'm not a, the biggest fan of movies that are really kind of snappy going from one jump to another, mm-hmm. to another scene really
0: quickly. Oh yeah. And that's something we should say about our walkthrough of the plot. Like we really sort of married parts together because yeah. a lot of that is like you're seeing it in little segments. There's a lot of up. back
1: and forth and that can get really annoying in the wrong hands. But uh, I think someone does a good good job with it. I think he manages it well. It doesn't get irritating.
0: There's a big cast, but it's not so big that you kind of lose track of anyone. Yeah, you know who's who.
1: Everyone has clear, defined characteristics. Uh, Yeah, the acting is great. Everyone gives it their all. Uh, It has a fun exuberance. Um, It's definitely saying a lot about modern filmmaking. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: About how it's just a lot emptier and... Also about how I think it takes a certain amount of
0: sacrifice to yeah. make something worthwhile. In this case, <laughs> it was quite literal sacrifice, yeah. you know? Which, again, that goes back to the start of the film, his promise. I'll die if I have to to right. make the perfect movie. Right.
1: And, you know, movie making is not easy, especially if you're making good movies. You know, it and takes a lot out of you. And and it demands a lot. Especially
0: if you're independent like they are. Yeah.
1: Uh, this is a hey, over-the-top interpretation of that. <laughs> but... uh, yeah, overall I think it's it's a fun flick, good music, good editing. It moves at a great pace. I would give it See you mentioned One of the Cub of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's almost a perfect movie. Ooh. Um I would give this four stars. Woo! Yeah. That's basically a five from anyone else, so. <laughs>
0: I think it's a lot of fun. Quite high praise from Jason. I recommend it. Um, so I guess before I give my deeper thoughts, obviously I love the movie. Sure. I get, you, you picked it at Sono. I picked it at Sono. I rarely dislike anything that he does. Um, but I guess what I want to say about the film is I think this film is just like infinitely inspiring. And I, I can't believe anyone could ever watch this movie and not at some point get a smile just plastered across their face. Yeah, even if you don't love cinema, even if you don't love cinema, just the the comedy, the execution of it all is just all so meticulous and perfect. Um, but I think there's something so strongly captured about the the love and passion of filmmaking, and like even just the creativity that goes into being like a creative person that wants to like make something and produce something and put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that bleeds all the way across the film, and it even like comes out of the film and into you as a viewer. And then even while it is that also, it also kind of is a good, like, love letter to Yakuza films and crime cinema. Yeah. No. Um, because even as it is this, like, very funny romp of these dudes trying to make a movie, it really follows the beats of a good Yakuza film and, like, these two clans that are warring with each other and how it builds up over the years. and Right sort of like the, the debts that build up to a point where you can't turn back and everyone has to die.
1: And to the end, something I meant to mention was it's, it's also almost a send of the, a send up of that. Yeah. You know, almost skewering that hyper-violent mm-hmm. Takashi Miike type <laughs> yeah.
0: of movie that was very popular <laughs> at the time this was made. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and part of it. I think it's just like this heartfelt love letter to like, just having that dream of doing something and that desire to just go and like burn yourself out and do whatever it takes to get it done. And, you know, make something meaningful that sits there and exists and is there for other people to enjoy and ponder and think about. And um, I think that for us and probably for a lot of the listeners as fans of genre cinema, we go out there and we seek for these little kind of gems that um, movies like this, where they're looking back at more classic films that we all love and they're looking on them fondly and lovingly to them, but also pulling that and then like synthesizing in that to like also do and say something new, Mm -hmm. which is super cool. Uh, To come down from a high a little bit, again, the only knock I will give it is those CGI blood sprays. They're a little egregious. Yeah, very. Um, They clearly had plenty of other blood in the movie. I'm sure it was just a budget thing. Sure. Is what it is. Um, But, I mean, that's really kind of the only flaw I would ever throw with this film. Um, I think as the film goes on, and you're watching it, if if you're open to this story, I think you get caught up in Harada's fervor. Almost in the same way that everyone in the film does once he takes control of the film shoot um, going into that climax, I don't think initially you ever really consider the collateral damage of what's going to happen. Right. Um, especially, again, like you said, with those fake outs. Mm-hmm. You really think, like, is this another imagined thing? Yeah. Is it... Is it actually the movie is that it, we're seeing? Yeah, is it, play, is it played up and we're going to get to the end and everyone is okay? Which mm-hmm. then they tease. Yeah. And kind of his, like... I almost see that as like a death dream at yeah. that moment. Right. Uh, in the theater at the end. Uh, but then we get to this just like amazing, stark, tonal shift where, like, they talk about fantasy in the in the dream the Mudo has. Ikigami says like fantasy's taking over reality, and kind of the film does that to you. But then when shit hits the fan, it like pulls you right back out of that, and then you get a lot of like really sad emotion and drama in the film. Is like everyone starts dying, and mm-hmm. you you've yucked around with these people for like an hour and a half, and really kind of grown to like them a lot. And now they're dead. And they're all they're like all just bloody just in the dropping. Floor, yeah, you know? and there's there's just no worth to any of them, and they're just No, no one is stronger or more powerful, or Mm -hmm. you know, the the cops just blow everyone away when they step in. So, yep. Um, And again, that's like you said that um, sometimes sacrifices must be made, and it's (laughs) an exaggerated point to take that to the level of you know being gunned down. But sometimes you have to exaggerate (laughs) to make a point. So film demands blood. Sometimes Um, that's all there is to it. I like a lot of the cyclical nature of the film. There's a lot of setups that they then circle back around to. Mm. Um, the slide on the blood, Harada's prayer, um, all the Bruce Lee analogies with Sasaki, um, Koji's obsession with Mitsuko, Ikigami's obsession with Mitsuko. Mm. They really lay a lot of groundwork and then like all have enjoyable payoff for that later on. Um even some of the things like the changing of the signs where as Mudo picks a different mistress he changes the sign of the karaoke bar. Right. Um, and then I guess as a as a person who is creative like I do creative writing I've even kind of to some degree on this podcast working on that's a creative endeavor. Sure it is. Um a lot of Harada's rants really like just charge me up and make me feel good even if sometimes he he's clearly a BSer, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. He's full of it on one level, but on another level, it kind of makes sense at the same time, mm-hmm. um, which I think is supposed to be his charm. And we never talked about, but there's a great part where before he gets into the movie, the chick that he was on that date with, she tags along for a little bit. Right. And she wants to finally kiss him. And then he decides not to, because he wants to wait till the movie's done. <laughs> and she even tries to warn him to be like, I think this is a bad idea. Yeah, he's yeah. like, no, look forward to our kiss. <laughs> <laughs> um, should just come with the chick. Yeah, I just love his personality and his energy and his love for filmmaking. I think sometimes maybe it's hard to know whether that's like lines they scripted or maybe just Sono speaking through him because there's mm. definitely clearly a connection there. I think um, you can go back and see a lot of the early films of Sono. The stuff he did on like Super 8 when he was growing up and like in college and just first trying to make movies. They uh, In Japan, there's a little collection of them of like all his early works and most of them have been subtitled and they're out there in some form where you can get them. And, you know, they're messy and they're wild. They're, they're weird and and definitely not conventional in any way. And I think most people would say they're probably not good. Mm. But they have that same, like, the energy of this film, that infectious energy. You go all the way back to his earliest stuff and that's still there. Mm. And so that's so interesting that, like, Harada's almost like a mirror of that, but in this film world instead. Uh, one little thing I wanted to talk about. This film often gets compared to Kill Bill for some reason online. If you look at a lot of like bigger news outlets that talk about it, I'm not sure why. I think it's mostly just due to like the big set piece at the end in the in and the castle. That and everything and superficial and Yakuza connection. And the Yakuza connection, and there's some actor connections yeah. in the film, but no, I don't. Think I never that. really got that. I think that's like a stretch to try to just. I- I reference say, something
1: I, I wouldn't say no to a tarantino sort of influence
0: yeah with the converging storyline the, the and frantic like tone yeah yeah but not directly kill bill no um but i just love this film so much i wouldn't say it's sono's best and that's not a knock on this film as much as that's just a testament to his output um mm. uh, but this one always like cheers me up makes me feel so good to watch it i hadn't seen this for like maybe two or three years and man it felt so good to go back to it and just kind of wash through this story again and nice. it's one of those things like every time it finishes it makes me feel like I want to just grab a camera and go out there and like shoot some shit and try to make a movie and of course I never do because that's clearly not my calling in life but um, right, that's just a testament to I think the, the power and the emotion that's charged up in this movie so I fucking love it and I would give it five stars I kind of expected you would yeah <laughs> and maybe just as a parting shot because I did forget to bring this up what do you take as far as like the ending, do you th- do you think he like collapsed in the street and died, or what's uh, the what's the deal with that final little well, moment there, that
1: breaking the whole fourth wall yeah. and making us realize we're watching the movie, the filming of the movie? Um, it's kind of hard to say because it's almost like it doesn't matter yeah. at that point, you know, because hey, you're you're watching a movie, this is mm-hmm. fantasy, you know, and. Don't take it too seriously. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the the message I get at the end. I agree.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yes. All right. Well, that's one in the can. But we got more to go. Yep. So where are you gonna take us for movies about making movies?
1: Okay. Well, I mean, I had a lot of back and forth, with a lot of different movies. Because I'm thinking, no, this is a good time to talk about Ed Wood. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I was thinking maybe um, I debated one cut of the Dead. I debated one because of the day, too. <laughs> but then ultimately, I thought it might be a boring conversation because I know how we both feel about mm-hmm. it.
0: Five stars all the
1: way. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I'm
0: going to go with Blowout Ooh. from 1981. Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma film. It's one of his I've never seen, not for any real reason. It's, I just it's never. It's kind of criminally underseen,
1: I think. Um, but yeah, we're going back to the greatest decade for movies, hmm. 1980s. I mean, 70s is arguable. 70s 80s
0: you know also in the criterion collection and if you are a collector like me barnes and noble is having that 50 percent off sale this month great time to pick up some criterion releases yep and if there's not a barnes and
1: noble near you the same sales going on on amazon mm-hmm. uh the blu-ray for this is right now 20 dollars the 4k is 25 they're Man. usually like 40 can't beat 45, it yeah
0: it's so good
1: also it is streaming you have to pay for it it's a few bucks on amazon prime uh, i'm just
0: gonna go buy the disc
1: I'll probably break down by it, too, actually. (laughs) Because, obviously, I'm picking this one, so Mm -hmm. I like it. I'm also a big De Palma fan.
0: We've mentioned him once before,
1: at least, with Phantom of the Paradise. Exactly. Um, But uh, it's got John Travolta in it. Don't let that scare you. He's actually quite good here.
0: Hey, he's great in Greece, so.
1: Yeah, Christine. (laughs) People forget he's even in that movie. Nancy Allen is in this. John Lithgow, who is one of the best actors Ever to act. Uh, so okay. okay. Uh, you got me excited.
0: Yeah. Check it out. We'll be talking about it in a couple of weeks. All righty. Well, we've reached the end of another one. We're, as we're at the same time, almost reaching the end of the year. But you can always reach out to us. Let us know what you've been watching. Send us your film recommendations, stuff we should check out. We're always building that list and looking for interesting things to get into. We've really had some great ones. This year, I thought I've enjoyed them all so mm-hmm. far. Same. Um, You can hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, Instagram. Send us an email at genrexposure at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, that contacted us, that we sent out stickers to. Glad you got them. Glad you enjoy them. Absolutely. can rock our weird logo and have people be like, what in the world is that? I don't know. (laughs) Um, The cool little uh, Spotify QR code does work. I I checked Mm -hmm. it to make sure. Very neat. Didn't want to be that idiot that uh, put out stickers with a QR code that didn't work. (laughs) Could have happened. All that being said, you have been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care.